0: Eagles Entertainment.
1: With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select...
0: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got two fun segments here for you on today's show. We're going to start things off with pick six, where Greg Cosell is going to come by, and we're going to talk through six different players... Really kind of talking about versatility and why that's so important, especially on the defensive side of the football. So we're going to talk about three defensive linemen who have inside-out flexibility and then three corners that have inside-out flexibility. Who are those six players? Why do they bring so much value to the NFL? We'll get into that here at the very top of the show. After that, we've got draft buzz where Ben Fennel's going to come by. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about some of the special team stalwarts in this draft and who can really kind of uh, hear their name called on draft weekend with a big reason being their special teams prowess. But then also – Go through a really fun mock draft from Lance Zerline over at NFL.com. We're going to break that all down there in draft buzz. As always, the best way to hit us up here on the show, head on over to uh, Apple podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it here in an upcoming show. The draft is two weeks from tomorrow, two weeks from today, probably when you're listening to this. Uh, Unbelievable to say that two weeks from tomorrow, as I'm sitting here recording uh, that we are so close. So if you've got any questions for this NFL draft, now's the time. Hop on over to Apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a question in the comment box we'll answer it here uh, on an upcoming episode that said let's get into it excited now to catch up with Greg Cosell for pick six now it's time for pick six all right, excited to welcome in this week uh Greg Cosell. We're really excited for pick six, and we're gonna talk about some hybrid players here, Greg. Guys that have some inside-outside versatility, and we'll start on the defensive front. And DeMarvin Leal is a guy that was really high in a lot of mock drafts over the summer. Uh, potentially the first interior defensive lineman off the board based off all of those mock drafts, even up through the fall. You saw him in the top 10, top 12, top 15. I think that's kind of cooled off a little bit. We're not quite seeing him that high in mock drafts, but an intriguing skill set because of that position versatility. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts and how you see him moving up to the NFL.
1: Yeah, I watched him last summer and I really liked his tape a lot. I thought that he he had really strong active hands. I thought he had quick athletic feet. Um, he could rush the quarterback off the edge. I thought he had a really good combination of quickness and power. And I was really excited for his 2021. And to be honest, Fran, I, when I put on his 2021 tape, I thought that you just didn't see those traits. As often as I did in 2020. I don't know your thoughts on that. He certainly has the traits, Um, but I think that it just didn't come out as often this year uh, as it did in 2020, which is why you're not hearing about him the way you did last summer or leading into this season.
0: Yeah, as you know, you let you do say all the time with players is we don't you and I, we don't know the answers to that, right? So teams no. when you get to the bottom of trying is that a, a usage thing? Was there an injury deal? Is there anything else involved there? Um, but I think when you talk about his traits, uh and that position flexibility, I mean, this is a guy yeah. that some saw as a defensive end coming out of high school and even you know, moving into the NFL, like it wouldn't shock me. You know, one guy I wrote down while watching him, uh, was Michael Brockers. And this is Brockers, you know, when he was coming out of LSU, he was only a one year starter. This was twenty twelve. Going back to Brockers, but um, you know, just when you see a guy that has that th- those level of traits, uh, and Brockers turned into a longtime starter in the league, um, he's uh, that 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 skill set makes him a very intriguing proposition uh, for teams, especially with all the multiple fronts we see in today's NFL.
1: Great point. I was just about to say that. I said that um, you see a, a player who played multiple positions across the defensive front, and that kind of alignment versatility is obviously in greater demand than ever before. Uh, But I'm really curious to see, number one, who drafts him and number two, where he gets drafted. But he certainly has traits. It's just that they didn't show up quite as much this year. And I know I guess he was still a first team All-American and all that good stuff. But I think that was based on what he did in 2020.
0: Right. You know, the name recognition part of it uh, yeah. certainly comes into play. Uh, let's get into another guy that also has that defensive end, defensive tackle flex. And that's Logan Hall from uh. Houston. Uh, fun player. And I know you recently finished studying him. So I want to get your thoughts fresh here on Logan Hall.
1: Yeah, I actually did him earlier this week. So he's fresh in my mind. And. Uh, I've heard about him obviously over these last month or so, you know, but I hadn't really seen him play. And I really, really liked his tape. He really grew on me. Um, he started out the season playing a lot more at defensive end then as the season progressed, he played a lot more at defensive tackle, which is what I think he is. I think he could be a three technique in the NFL and be a very good one. Um, And I tell you what, he's got length. He's over 6'6". He's got natural power. I mean, you saw how many times did he jar offensive guards with his initial uh, hand usage right off the snap of the ball. And he's got athletic movement. There's a little twitch and suddenness to him coming off the ball with that lateral quickness. So I really liked Hall's tape. He's heavy-handed. He's got natural power. um, He's got athleticism. He can rush the quarterback. Um, I thought that he was really good at coordinating his explosive feet with his active hands as a pass rusher. So I really like Logan Hall's tape a lot and I think he'll he'll transition well to the NFL.
0: I am glad that you, that you said you liked him a little bit more as an inside guy. I liked him a little bit more inside as well, but but he lined up plenty uh, off the edge throughout yeah. the course of his career. I mean, he started his career as a full-time D tackle, um, but you know, grew into more of an edge presence, uh, especially after they lost Peyton Turner uh, in last year's draft. They relied on him uh, to give some of those edge reps, but uh, I do think that he's probably one of the better pure three technique options in this draft, but even still, you look at him and he's like, yeah, like this guy, if you want to line him up, head up on a tackle, he could, he could do that and do that yeah. well, right? I think he's got enough of that athleticism enough of that flexibility to be able to do so at a pretty high level.
1: Yeah, I really liked him. Uh, uh you know there's there's a lot of guys who were talked about and we've done some others who are being talked about as three technique types um and I and so here's here's my my bold controversial statement for the day. I like his tape and I like his transition to the NFL better than DeVonta Wyatt from Georgia.
0: Interesting, and Wyatt obviously a guy that's being mocked in the, in the top fifteen, top twenty uh, of a lot of mock drafts uh, at this point in the process. So uh, Logan Hall, a, a guy not to be slept on here, as we're no. just a couple of weeks from the draft. Uh, another guy too; they are starting to hear his name pop a little bit more. Uh, I think an uh, uh, injury during the pre-draft process has hurt him a little bit, and that's Josh Paschal from Kentucky. Uh, I, I know this is a guy that another player that you have studied as well. Different from an athletic standpoint compared to, to uh, Logan Hall, but it, give us your thoughts here on Josh Pascal.
1: Yeah, and I don't think Pascal. I mean, he can play outside, and again, yep. that's why we're doing this. We're talking about guys that have position versatility, so he can play outside. I don't think. Well, I shouldn't say that because I, there were times. You know, who he reminded me of. There were times he reminded me of Shaq Barrett. Okay, oh. and Shaq Barrett came out of Colorado State, six-one and three-eighths, two fifty-one, ran a four-seven-three forty, very close to what Pascal ran. Um, and, and Barrett obviously went undrafted and, and he spent four years in Denver where he was a backup to really good players. And then we obviously know what he's done in Tampa and he's become one of the better edge rushers in the NFL. I don't know if Pascal's path will be the same, but Pascal, he has really strong hands. I mean, he's heavy handed. He's physical. Um, I think the, the, strong heavy hands and the explosive quickness off the ball to win early in the down. Those two traits always play well in the NFL. So again, now it comes down to team and scheme and how they see him, but there's no question that he can line up on the outside. Um, You know, again, some teams might view his length as being problematic, but you know, like I said, Shaq Barrett's under six, two Pascal's over six, two. So we'll see, but I, I, He was a fun player to watch. I imagine you enjoyed it as well.
0: Yeah, he, he is a fun player, and the, the heavy hands absolutely stand out uh, while watching. He's got an outstanding motor. He plays through the yep. whistle on almost every play, um, and also, for the, for the, our listeners that don't know, uh, has overcome incredible adversity in his life. I mean, he was diagnosed uh, with a uh, malignant melanoma, uh, had three surgeries when he first got yep. to Kentucky, um, so a cancer survivor early in his career that has overcome that level of adversity. He was a two-time captain uh, at, for the Wildcats, and obviously, they had that big year this year. I think when you look at Pascal, uh, one of the more slept on players. He was again, getting ready to head to the senior bowl uh, and couldn't go um, due to an injury. He ended up, I believe it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a soft tissue. It was a groin injury um, that, that kept him out of the, the senior bowl. But I think when you look at Pascal, uh a player that has that position flex, the the Shaq Barrett one is interesting. I did not think about that um, from that standpoint. He came in a little bit lighter in Indianapolis than I expected. I was expecting to be a little bit bigger. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I think with all three of these players, it goes back to what we were mentioning is that uh, this is a, a a league now where you're seeing so many teams we're talking about here in Philadelphia. Uh, the Eagles played plenty of that five, two, um, but so many yep. teams around the NFL are utilizing these fronts and you're going to need those guys, uh, at the drop of a hat, essentially, you know, mid mid series, you've got to be able to switch from playing either a pure three to a four eye, you're a pure seven technique. And now you're going to line up head up over tackle as a four eye, right? So uh, having that position flex either way is so, so valuable
1: absolutely so but pascal's a really good prospect it's just how teams see him
0: yep all right. Well, let's, uh, let's take this conversation to the secondary now because uh, there are plenty of players that I think also have that inside-outside versatility at the cornerback spot. So uh, whether you're talking about pure outside corners that can that can slide inside or some of the slot corners that also have those the, the coverage chops and the top-end speed to be able to last on the outside as well. Uh, let's talk with, Lo- we talked about Logan Hall from Houston. Let's talk about his teammate, Marcus Jones. Probably more when you talk about body type, the, that traditional prototype in terms of the nickel, he is more on the undersized side of things. But uh, what did you see from Marcus Jones, the corner from Houston?
1: I loved watching Marcus Jones. I don't know your feeling. I mean I loved watching this kid. Um obviously he's 5'8, 174. He can't do anything in the pre-draft process because of it, you know, injuries. So we don't, my guess is he'll run perfectly fine when he does run if he ever does. um But he's got piston-like feet. He has outstanding mirror match press man ability. He's physically tough and competitive. I mean obviously he does have a lack of size and that showed up um, you know, a couple of times he, he vertically he, he couldn't locate the ball and couldn't make plays on the ball and got beat down the field. Um, but for the most part, um this kid was so much fun to watch. He played outside, he played in the slot, he played snaps at safety, um, which I'm sure you saw. Uh, I would think most teams would see him as a slot simply because he's five eight um but given certain matchups could he line up on the outside you know there are 510 wideouts in the league who do play on the outside and yep, 510 yep. five, eight is not really that big a deal particularly with the way jones plays um with that mirror matchability and his physical and, and mental competitiveness
0: yeah, I think when you look at him and said at the at that size, I mean, what he came in at uh, five eight, under one hundred and seventy five pounds, and so uh, that is going to bother some people if you're looking at him as an outside corner. Um, but there are definitely some outside corners that are a little, you know Jason Verrett isn't too much bigger than that, right? Now only sure. really healthy, healthy, uh, he has been a big time player for you know uh, the teams that he has been on. But I think when you look at Jones, uh, I agree. I mean the, the the foot quickness, the the recovery speed, all of that is there. He's also a Big-time playmaker, both on defense and on special teams. Yep. Outstanding production uh, on the football. Nine re- nine return touchdowns. Six as a kick returner. Three as a punt returner uh, over the course of his career. So uh, I think when you look at what he can do on defense and on special teams, presents a lot of value. Now, he again, we're talking about a guy that probably is more of an inside player, but these next two guys I, I think offer a little bit more when you're talking about that that position flexibility. Let's go first to the SEC and Cardell Flott uh, from LSU. Uh, everyone loves-, loves to talk about Derek Sting junior for good reason. Uh, but flot as a junior who declared for the draft as well, uh, shouldn't be slept on either.
1: No, no. And he, uh, he played mostly in the slot and then Stingley got hurt and then he played outside as well. Um, uh, so he can do both. He even played some snaps at safety as well, just like Marcus Jones did. Uh, the only real knock on him is he's 175 pounds. Um, but I think he's He's a really interesting prospect. He's very smooth. You can see it in the way he moves. He's got good balance, he's got good body control. I thought he was really good in zone coverage. Um, You know, I don't know your feeling on that. I thought he had a really good feel for playing underneath zone coverage, which he did when he was in the slot. I thought he read routes. I thought he had really good eye discipline. Um, He did play it outside corner as well. And I thought that uh, he showed enough recovery speed that you could see him playing out there. You know, maybe he can put on a few pounds and He was really aggressive despite that thin frame. And he does look thin on tape, but he had an aggressive competitive mindset. He played the run. He was willing to tackle. He's actually a really good player.
0: I maybe I just have a thing for LSU DBs, uh, but he just just watching Flott, Uh I just couldn't help but like him uh, for all the reasons you brought up. There are some things you can knock him on. You mentioned the size, uh, under under 180 pounds, with that being over six foot. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna knock him right. He is uh, he's got a skinny frame. Um, only one interception over the course of his career, but I say like, yeah. what the interception he had was was outstanding. Uh, it was an outstanding high point interception down the field. But I I think I agree in terms of uh, his route quickness and the way that he was able to uh to to read route breaks and stay in the hip yeah. pocket of receivers both in man and in zone, I thought was really, really impressive. And uh you mentioned the tough tef- the, the the uh the toughness and competitiveness. I thought that showed up as well.
1: Oh yeah he's he's you know he's not being talked about at all for obvious reasons um but he's I think he's a really good prospect and guys like that look He'll probably be seen. Well, I shouldn't say that because I don't know. He is over six feet. Um, If he's seen as a slot, he's certainly not going to be drafted high for whatever reason. Teams don't do that, even though slot corners are so critical in today's NFL. But if he's seen as a slot, you know, he's not going to be a top 50 pick. But he strikes me as the kind of guy that's going to be on a roster. He's going to play and he's going to play in the league for a long time.
0: Yep. And again, uh, as you mentioned, a guy that I don't think most people knew about really even even NFL draft circles uh, until he declared. And so there wasn't a lot of buzz on him. Now, the last guy we we're going to discuss, Kyler Gordon. There was plenty of buzz uh, on Kyler Gordon because he was a a three-time member of Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, Ben brought him up uh, this past week here uh, on the show when we were talking about the top defensive backs. And uh, Gordon is another guy that he's played. He played as a starter on the outside this year, but also not only did he get plenty of slot slot reps this year, but also going back, he was a a big nickel player, a dime matchup piece. He was a he's played a lot uh, on the inside over the course of his career. So interested to get your thoughts there on Kyler Gordon and his transition to the NFL.
1: Yeah, no, I think, again, you're dealing with a guy that has extensive experience uh, playing in the slot as well. Um, And he's a guy that didn't time real well at the combine, but he plays on tape much faster and more explosively than his time speed. I mean, he looks on tape to me like a pretty dynamic, sudden mover. That's the way in which he plays. And he's very, very confident in his speed, Fran, as you probably saw especially to run with vertical routes because when he plays in mirror match press, man, he's incredibly patient. It's almost as if he's daring the receiver to run vertically because he knows he can run with him. Um, And I tell you, the one thing about these Washington corners, um, Trent McDuffie's like this. You can go back years and years. Jimmy Lake is, is, Um, Was the coach there? Is he still the coach in Washington? No,
0: he he actually just got fired this past year as head coach. That's what I uh, thought, yeah. Before that, he was the defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. So a big part of the, the history of DBs there.
1: Yeah, no question. And they must look for guys or teach guys. Because there's two things that corners at, uh, at Washington have done when Jimmy Lake was there. Number one, they're really good with plant and drive from off coverage. These guys are so good. They're decisive. They're sudden in their reactions. Uh, and the other thing is they're physical. They tackle And Gordon is the same way. There's a physical nature to his game. He comes up, he tackles in the run game. He's competitive. You can see he plays with an alpha dog mentality. So Gordon's a really interesting prospect. I think he's not quite as refined in his technique as as his partner, Trent McDuffie, but still a really good prospect. So just talking big picture about these
0: guys, uh, not only with the, the secondary, but also with the defensive front uh, as well. Obviously, look, this, this whole thing, this whole discussion is all projection. But how helpful is it to be able to see the guys that have that proven versatility to say, oh, you know, we, we've seen him play inside and outside versus the guys that, you know, maybe they've only done one and we have, now we have to completely project it uh, in terms of being able to do the other.
1: I think it's critical. I mean, because once you see it, you know, he can do it. Then if you don't see it, it becomes a projection. Or if you see it and it's bad, even if you think he can do it with your coaching, you you can't be 100 percent certain. But if you see a guy do it and he does it well or reasonably well, where, you know, you just say to yourself, hey, he can do that. I've seen him do it. So now we coach him up. We put him within our scheme. We know he can do that. We, we know that, hey, if we have to put one of these corners in the slot, they can do that. We know that if we have to put the Marvin Leal, you know, inside or we we in a certain scheme, we want him to rush from the outside. We've seen him do that. We know he can do it. I think that's absolutely critical because everything's a projection anyway. Exactly. because The level of football increases so dramatically. But if you haven't seen a guy do something in his background, that becomes even a tougher projection
0: and the value again with these guys, just because of the way that offenses are playing with moving their yeah. pieces around the ability to try and find those matchups, as you know, uh, and as you've said uh, many times over the years, it's, it's a matchup driven league. And so just yeah. being able to find ways to create favorable matchups for the defense. Uh, that's where these guys bring so much value. Greg, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand. We will talk to you again next week.
1: Thanks, Rand.
2: Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org.
0: Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so good stuff there from Greg. Let's now welcome in Ben Fennel here for some uh, Draft Buzz. And Ben, before we get into our mock draft here this week, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot uh, here on the show, and we talk about it especially as we get closer and closer to the draft, we actually talked about it a little bit this week uh, here in our DB preview, which, by the way, if you have not listened to our full DB preview, myself, Ben, Dane Bruehler talked through all the top corners, all the top safeties. And one topic that came up, Ben, was the the value that players can bring on special teams. And so I thought uh, this is something I know you follow very, very closely. And I thought, let me just give Ben the the floor. Five players that you feel will make it and get drafted purely because of special teams. And and look, obviously they're going to offer some value on offense or defense as well, but that special teams value uh, is really going to give them a balloon when it comes to their draft prospects. Who is number one uh, on your list when I present this question to you?
2: Yeah, I think uh, adding to special teams contribution just gives you another way to contribute to make the roster and find roles and skill sets. I kind of disagree with the sentiment because I don't think anyone gets drafted purely because of special teams. I think you need to be a positional fit and a contribution on the depth chart first on offense or defense. And then the special teams contributions are then what makes you stick onto a roster. Uh, Unless you're a punter or kicker, then I think maybe a little more purely in that regard. But um, to call someone, you know, a special team or purely typically comes at the expense of some sort of issue on offense or defense. And a lot of these guys kind of have that. Um, So the first one, I think, is Percy Butler out of Louisiana. Go uh, best coverage guy, in my opinion, on kickoff and on punt. 25 tackles in his career. And you really saw that at the combine with his four-three-six speed. And the second he can beat some jammers really show that uh, open field, linear speed, getting down there first. He just has average safety skills, though. Instincts on the back end kind of leave a little bit to be desired. Man coverage skills, I think, are very raw. He, I think, really embodies the Matthew Slater type. You know, Coming out of UCLA, Matthew Slater is also a back-end safety that ended up being just a special team stalwart in the NFL. I think Percy Butler is a perfect mold for that type.
0: Yeah, and I think when you talk – we talked about this earlier this week, but when you take Percy Butler and you look at the way he tested, which he, I mean, he's tested pretty well throughout this pre-draft process, and you say, okay, uh, Percy Butler, a good athlete, has already shown that he can play on special teams. I think that that's just like a feather in his cap. And you say, okay, any of the warts he has as a safety – you still feel good about him making making the the, the team as a, a third or fourth safety because of that special teams value, and I guess that's where I meant when it, in terms of framing it that way, purely because of special teams. Because if he didn't have that feather in his cap, then you would say, all right, well now I'm not I'm not quite sure uh, what he brings and what value he brings. But if you say, okay, we know this guy can come in and be a quality special teams player uh, while also being a backup safety, that really kind of helps you. I think Butler is a great example. I'm glad you led off that list uh, with him. Who would be number two for you?
2: Yeah, Matthew Slater was a receiver. I've just corrected that there at UCLA. But a couple other guys, I think, have some hybrid skill sets some hybrid positional fits. They're a little bit caught in between where you want to play them on defense. So their special teams contributions, I think, make them draftable prospects and extremely high level candidates to make rosters. I'm going to hit you with two right off the bat here. And that's Darian Beavers out of Cincinnati. Who's very much a hybrid Sam edge rusher with over 700 special team snaps in his career between Cincinnati and UConn. Just seems like this type of player is coming out every year, whether it's Zaven Collins and Derek Barnes last year, Jelani Tavai the year before. Well, Beaver's is more athletic than that group. I think this kid's a better special teams contribution, a better roster piece than maybe Tavai or Derek Barnes was. And in that same conversation, Kansas outside linebacker Kyron Johnson, another guy that's kind of caught. You know, positionally uh, in between positions, whether you want to play him off ball or Sam, or is he just a sub rusher? Another you know, guy that was able to show off that chain of direction and speed with over 600 special team snaps in his career. So he's only six foot, 230, certainly not a consistent every down presence off the edge. Yep. But these guys, Beavers, Johnson, I think the hybrid skill set, the tweener skill set, I think the special team's contribution just makes them a more apropos piece to fit the roster. No, that's a
0: great point, especially with Johnson and you talk about. That. Okay, he, hey, look, we don't think he could be a three-down rusher, but he can come in and be a role player in our rush package. You know, when it's our, our exotic looks from a pressure standpoint, third and long, he can offer some value there and also be a core guy uh, in special teams. Huge, huge value. Uh, who's next up on your list?
2: Yeah, and, you know, when you're making those late August decisions yep. on your board and who's going to make the roster and, hey, this one guy can play four special teams for us. This guy doesn't becomes pretty easy decisions. And I think personnel guys and the roster constructors like having those decisions because it's not that hard to make. Um, and I feel like you get a lot of that with returners on the back end too, because hmm. the returners can come in and maybe play slot in a pinch or play scat back, or maybe even carry the ball. So two returning types, in my opinion, each on both sides of the ball. Okay, We know about Marcus Jones at Houston. Former receiver converted to corner, really good corner skill set as well. Tons of plays on the ball, but his prolific returning ability will make him uh, obviously, I think, make a roster with an NFL team. And then another one maybe people aren't aware of is Tristan Ebner out of Baylor. Great one. Prolific run pass threat, uh, you know, on the offensive side catches the ball a ton out of the backfield. But he's back to back Big 12 Special Teamer of the Year. Tons of big returns, tons of contributions and coverage. So Tristan Ebner, Marcus Jones, prolific returners, and then we'll see where else that can they fit and contribute. I love that. And
0: Jones, a guy we talked about in the last segment with Greg, we talked about the, the I mean, nine return touchdowns in his career, just an outstanding, outstanding production on that side of the football. Uh, Ebner, uh, again, a guy that's kind of flying under the radar there. Um, so I'm glad you were able to kind of break these up into some different categories. Was that five there? Or was that four that, that, there? That was that was five. You gave us Butler. Oh, that was five. Be- yeah. Butler, Beavers, Johnson,
2: Jones, and Ebner. Uh, so we had, we had five guys there. I had I one like, extra one here. I had, uh, uh, and, 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 and I had Nolan Turner out of Clemson. Nolan Turner out of Clemson, older prospect. Reminds me a little bit of like a Chris Maragos coming out of Wisconsin was a special teams ace for us here in Philadelphia for a number of years, special teams captain. I think Nolan Turner, I think the age may concern you a little bit, but his experience and high level games at Clemson and his special teams background that's the type of guy you kind of pick up the phone early as a priority free agent and he ends up making the roster.
0: Mm, I love it. Yeah, A bunch of these guys profile uh, from that standpoint, whether it's coverage, uh, the, core, the core units, or as a returner, uh, huge, huge. Uh, and there was
2: some problem. major contributors for him, but I don't think they're going to get drafted purely for that contribution. So the guys like Tyson Anderson's of the world and Kobe Bryant's, I think have much higher skill sets on their right. side of the ball and the special teams contribution. That's why Anderson and Kobe Bryant are going in, you know, round three, round four, and these other guys are probably – Late day three, priority free agent.
0: Great, great, great point, point. And, and that's the thing. When you take the, when you do take, take those guys, uh, you know, early day or late day two, early day three, uh, that it, you at least have that as like the floor, right? You take Tyson Anderson and you say, "Look, this is what this guy can be as a safety. He, he's really, really exciting with his tools. At his floor, he's a backup safety, core special teamer. But with, with his athletic prowess, uh, with his size and, and his length, he could be that matchup player. And that, that when you get into that area of the draft, into the, those early rounds, and those guys have that special teams back. <laughs> that's just more like sets the floor for us.
2: Yeah, and it's fun looking at the first rounders that also do special teams. I mean, McDuffie, Kyler Gordon, Jameson Williams has big hits as a yep. as a punt gunner out there. Kyle Hamilton does as well. Plenty of first rounders you can find on special teams too.
0: No, no, no doubt. So uh, with that said, let's now get into uh, the first rounders and talk through this mock draft roundup this week. We're going to go over to NFL.com. Lance Zerline, who does an outstanding job uh, with these mock drafts, is so, so plugged in. As always, especially as we get later in the process, Lance uh, consistently one of the more accurate mock drafters out there. And so uh, he's always out ahead uh, of a lot of this buzz. And so uh, we're going to get into the top five because there's some interesting takeaways there. But first, let's get into these two Eagles picks here. Uh, First with number 15, cornerback Trent McDuffie here. Here's the blurb here from Lance. Philadelphia has an obvious void at one cornerback spot, and McDuffie gives the Eagles one of the stickiest, toughest man corners in the draft. And so, uh, Ben, McDuffie becoming a hot name for the Eagles lately in mock drafts. We talked about him last week in Bruce Feldman's mock draft as well. I think it's notable that Lance kind of labeled him as a a man-to-man corner. Well, you called him the best zone corner in round one earlier this week, and not to say that one's right, one's wrong. I think that speaks more to McDuffie's versatility and the value he presents in the middle of the round one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Washington has been trending against man coverage last few years, actually second fewest man coverage reps in cover one uh, this past year in the Pac-12. So, But his positional versatility and scheme versatility, yep. I think, is what makes him so valuable in a first round, mid first round pick with his uh, athletic skill set and his explosiveness. And just his toughness, his rawness, his special teams, his run support and protecting the flat, the ball skills. There's a lot to like with Trent McDuffie. I don't think he's a scheme specific type of player. I think that's why he goes 15th overall. He's going to be a really nice piece for Jonathan Gannon. feel safe to say like he's a high floor player, right? You would look at McDuffie in that way. Absolutely. And, you know, he's a guy I think maybe can slide in to do some nickel stuff as well with his toughness and blitzing ability and I think he's a guy I can get a lot of use out of. And at the end of the day, he's high floor, he can go run down on punt coverage for me all day long and kickoff coverage. He's a guy willing to contribute and uh, you know plug it where it leaks wherever wherever it needs. All right, well, let's get to the next pick here, 18 overall. This is the pick from the New Orleans
0: Saints. Uh, Lance has the Eagles selecting Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks. Here's the blurb from Lance. Jalen Hurts needs another weapon on offense, and Burks is one of the most well-rounded in the draft, combining size, athletic ability, play strength, and run-after-the-catch capability. Uh, Ben, it's been a while here since we did a mock draft with Traylon Burks to the Eagles. So, uh, really, it's been been a couple months, it feels like, since we've covered one here on this show. Um, So, I'm interested now that we're just a couple weeks out, Just thoughts on Traylon Burks, his fit here uh, in this Eagles offense, in this passing game, and and your thoughts. I know uh, his stock has kind of gone through a little bit of a roller coaster ride uh, Mm -hmm. due to the the, the combine and things like that. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts as we sit here in mid-April on Burks.
2: Well, I would love to see his complementative kind of frame and skill set really, you know, counter some of the existing receivers and the Devontae's and Jalen Rieger and Quez Watkins and some of those guys that are a little bit lighter frame, quick twitch, over-the-top guy. And Traylon Burks is thick. He's 225. He's 6'3". It's the guy you want to put the ball in his hands, and he's got the juice to run away from pursuit. But he's going to break some tackles like a running back, too. So I just love to see kind of his skill set um, and a lot of different ways you can use him in the offense. Whether it's the perimeter screens, put him in the backfield, he can win deep. I mean, he torched some uh, Texas A&M press corner vertically and no problem doing that in the SEC. So Traylon Burks, I really am excited to see how he's going to be used in the NFL. And I think Nick Sirianni would just be licking his chops to have Devontae Smith and Traylon Burks and Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard. A lot of weapons around Jalen Hurts.
0: Yeah, Burks, just a fun player in terms of his usage and the way that he can be deployed, but also uh, the skill set there. Just a really, really intriguing player because of his toolbox. Uh, Let's now get into the top five in this draft. And I mentioned I wanted to get to it because a little bit of a shakeup here. Lance going Trayvon Walker, the, the Georgia defensive end, number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That caused Aiden Hutchinson to fall number two to Detroit. Ben, we've seen a lot of smoke uh, here over these last couple of weeks, uh, especially in the la- recent recent days here with Walker potentially going number one overall. Uh, five months ago, I think that we would have uh, been shocked by that statement.
2: Yeah, um, and that's the way things have been trending. And, uh, you know, Lance is typically ahead of the curve with some of this stuff, just like our buddy Dane Brugler. They seem to be the two that have thrusted him up their mock drafts. And that's uh, seemingly, you know, how the NFL views it as well. So I think it's a a fun conversation. It's a bit contentious based on, you know, Trayvon Walker's production and body of work and projection moving forward. Uh, So I love it. And I love not knowing that number one pick every now and then. Yeah. It's fun to have the, you know, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going one for three months, but I love the occasional draft where you really don't know. So I hope it holds on for just another two weeks of unknown and that first uh, envelope and Goodell going to the podium. I love the suspense behind it all. I will say that night
0: one, uh, you know, if Trayvon Walker goes number one, uh, look when we when we do the podcast, we're obviously going to recap what the Eagles do uh, in the first round of the draft. But we got we got to give we got to throw some flowers uh, at Dane Brugler (laughs) for him being the first one to stand on the rooftop and scream the name of Trayvon Walker as a top ten talent uh, in this draft. And so, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see exactly where he ends up going. But Walker going ahead, Hutchinson in this mock draft. uh, Just rounding out the top five, Evan Neal, number three to the Houston Texans, uh, which is something I can definitely see playing out. Sauce Gardner going number four uh, to the New York Jets. And then number five, Oregon pass rusher, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau going to the New York Giants there at fifth overall. Any thoughts there on those the, the back end there of the,
2: the top five? One of the earlier slots we've seen Sauce Gardner go fourth yeah. overall to the Jets there. They have some pretty clear needs at corner, some pretty clear needs at pass rusher opposite Carl Lawson, hoping he has a nice healthy season and add some weapons around Zach Wilson. Uh, you know, that may be a spot number four for Joe, Joe Douglas to trade back and maybe add some more picks there. So I think that four, five, six spot, the draft is really going to start up there.
0: All right, well, let's uh, let's do what we typically do and just kind of cut the draft in half. Look at the front 16 and the back 16. What's one pick, one player team fit that you just love in the front 16, the first 16 picks of this mock draft? I love seeing George Carlaptis go to Baltimore at 14.
2: That's kind of a new defensive regime, but uh, I think it's going to kind of resemble the previous, you know, Wink Martindale and the kind of exotic multiple front. And I think Carlaptis is a guy that's going to stand up off the edge and base and then be moved around or even walking around in some sub packages. They can use some pass rush help. It's been no secret they're uh, into it in free agency. Some hit, some didn't. Um, And I think a a George Carlaptis would be a great Ravens type of pick there.
0: And honestly, like my pick goes in the same vein, Jermaine Johnson going to the Jets at number 10. Uh, when you look back at the Ravens, the way that they have attacked the pass rusher in the draft, more often than not, they're going production. And they also place a ton of value on the senior bowl and guys that go down there and compete at a high level. And some of the, the top senior bowl standouts end up in Baltimore on a yearly basis. So uh, for Jermaine Johnson, I think that makes a ton of sense for Joe Douglas at number 10, Remember Joe Douglas coming originally from Ozzie Newsome in that Baltimore tree. Uh, I think it checks a lot of boxes there, and, and the the Jets also pretty active uh, in the pass rush market here this summer. And just man, that'd be a
2: fun front there, Frank Quinn and Williams, Sheldon Rankins on the inside, Carl Lawson and Jermaine Johnson on the outside. Suddenly you got, you got a pretty dominant four right there.
0: Yeah, Fra- Franklin Myers. You got a couple of the yep. other one guys there. That's that. That would be a fun group uh, for certain. So uh, let's go to the back sixteen here. I'll, I'll let you go first. Who's a player from seventeen to thirty-two that you really like?
2: Well, I know New England just moved on from Shaq Mason, shipping him off in a, in a trade. So plugging in a big Kenyon Green, yeah. who I think is a great gap scheme, power type of interior offensive lineman that just seems like the style of Patriot offensive lineman, whether it's Michael Awainu or Shaq Mason and some of those bigger refrigerator types that need to move people off the ball. Kenyon Green latches and runs his feet in the power game, as well as anybody in this class. He's a guy that's played up and down the line, could end up being an Elton Jenkins type for somebody, maybe New England. I just really love that fit. And he'll probably be a mainstay right guard for him.
0: Yeah, it's a a great fit. And when you talk about the versatility that they typically value up front, uh, Kenyon green certainly brings that with uh, having experience at both tackle spots, both guard spots. Um, Real quick uh, for me, I would say Jamison Williams at that's the Saints at number nineteen. I think you could re- really say this with Williams for a number of teams picking in this draft. Um, but I think when you look at his speed, kind of plugging him in, that's a dimension that the Saints are, are sorely missing. And adding him with a vertical thrower like Jameis Winston, I think makes a ton of sense. So uh, Jamison Williams, you even if you want to say like Chris Olave there with the Saints, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, you could take Williams and say, yeah, Kansas City, uh, the the Chargers, <laughs> right? You can go through, you know, Green Bay, plenty of teams uh, could use that game breaking speed uh that that he certainly brings to the table
2: yeah absolutely the last one i want to throw in there i love seeing Kyra elam go to buffalo in the back end there he just seems like a sean mcdermott type of corner who tested out of this world i think is a much better zone corner and a very feisty corner as well so i think he'd be a great fit any uh,
0: any names stand out to you, Ben, that were left off this mock draft? Who do you think's uh, first off the board when it when it's all said and all done? All right, what do we got?
2: What do we got here at round two? The big board. Lance, check the receipts. We got Linderbaum still on the board. Zion Johnson. Oh, how about Kyrie Elam? Kyler Gordon go over Andrew Booth. Seems like that's the way things have been trending the last week or two. How about Devin Lloyd, the only first round linebacker? Yeah. No, Nickobe Dean. No, Christian Harris. No, Quay Walker. Yep. That's kind of a unique uh, pecking order right there. So uh, always some fun uh, exercise to see who's left on the big board. A lot of value in round two, a lot of receivers, a lot of running backs to come off the board, tight ends. How about all those safeties on the back end? Dax Hill, Jalen Petrie. Certainly it seems the way it's trending.
0: No question. Well, uh, this is always a fun exercise and we'll continue to do it. We only have a couple more weeks of doing it, Ben, uh, here on the Mock Draft Roundup on the Journey the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Well, great stuff there from Ben. Again, we'll be back next week. Ben, Dane, myself, we've got wide receivers, wide receiver preview, one of the deeper positions in this draft. So if you want to learn more about the wide receiver class here in the 2022 NFL Draft, stay tuned for next time right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.